We're going to turn together uh, this morning to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm 46, if you'd like to use a Bible, they're in the pew. Otherwise, you can just listen along. Psalm 46, I'll read the whole psalm with you. I'm really just going to focus on the first line of verse 10. Psalm 46, the heading in the Bible is, God is our fortress. This is what we read, beginning at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though, it's, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'm just going to read that first line in verse 10 again. Be still and know that I am God. Let's pray together. Eternal God, Your love for us is everlasting. You alone can turn the shadow of death into the brightness of morning light. Help us to turn to You now with reverent and believing hearts. In the stillness of this solemn hour, speak to us of eternal things, so that hearing the promises of Scripture, we may have hope and be lifted above the darkness and distress into the light and peace of Your presence. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Family and friends. Psalm 46, verse 10, is one of the most precious verses in all of Scripture. Elizabeth Elliot, who was the wife of Jim Elliot, that was the missionary murdered in Ecuador half century ago, said that these words, be still and know that I am God, should always be our goal in times of emotional turmoil. I think all of us would agree the reason this is one of the most precious verses in all of Scripture is because what is said here finds relevance in our lives again and again and again. And I don't think I have to convince anyone this morning that it's, that it's relevant here again today when we're in the midst of great emotional 
turmoil. For many of us, we've never experienced this much emotional turmoil in our entire lives. And so it's fitting that we we turn to a passage of Scripture which speaks to our emotional turmoil. So what I want to do together with you is just for a few minutes, think about these words from the beginning of Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. The first two words are be still. Be still. This is a command from God really to the whole world. It's a command from God to the warring nations spoken about here in verses 6 and 9. It's also a command from God to His own people who are living in the midst of the turmoil of this world. Be still, He says to us. And the thought is here, you know, when, when we're busy, when we're preoccupied, when we're troubled, when we're restless, we tend to, to forget God. And we see this in Scripture. We might think of Job. Job grew exceedingly restless in the midst of all his suffering. And at the end of Job, we see God reveal Himself to Job, and we see God, He has to basically put Job back in His place. The Lord comes to Job in chapter 38, and and the Lord asks, who is this that darkens my counsel without knowledge? And then the Lord goes on to ask Job a series of humbling questions, such as, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, tell me, where is the, the dwelling of light? And then after that goes on for a couple chapters, the next time Job speaks in chapter 40, this is what Job says. He says, behold, I am of small account. I shall put my hand over my mouth. When Job grew restless, he he forgot who God was and he had to be reminded of who God was. He had to be put back in his place. Think of Martha too. She was was restless. Jesus was in her home and she was distracted with much serving and she was annoyed with her sister Mary, you might remember. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and Martha said, Lord, don't you care that I'm the one doing all the work while my sister just sits there? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen what is best. Throughout Scripture, we, we, we see that restlessness, it causes us to forget God and to not know God as we ought to know Him. And so the Lord, He, he comes to us this day in Psalm 46.10 with, with these words, with this command, be still, be still. And that's appropriate, isn't it? Because we're We're anxious. We're restless. We're preoccupied. And God comes and He says, He says, be still. God comes and as a loving father, He he basically says, settle down, child. Take a deep breath. Gather yourself, if only for a moment. Stop, Stop worrying about all that's going on out there. Be still. 
The next two words are these, be still and know. Reformed folks have often been accused of being too much head and not enough heart when it comes to their faith. I'd say in many cases that's a fair accusation and criticism. But at the same time, there are, there are moments in the Christian life when really the only thing we can go on is that which is in our head. There are times when the only thing we can go by is that, what we've, that which we've learned that Scripture says. And when the earth gives way, and when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and when its waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling, let's be honest, in those times our feelings can't always be trusted. Now, when the nations rage and the kingdoms totter and desolations are brought on the earth, in those times, we usually have to rely on what we know to be true rather than on what we feel to be true. The psalmist doesn't say, be still and feel. He says, be still and know. I'm reminded of Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. Jerusalem has been destroyed. It was a downright awful time for God's people. It appeared as if, as if their world was over as they're being hauled off to Babylon. And yet this is what Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't think Jeremiah felt that in that moment, but he knew it. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He fell back on what he knows to be true rather than on what he feels to be true. And in Psalm 46.10, the Lord is calling us to do the same, isn't he? Be still and, and know Rely on what you know to be true. Rely on what these families were taught, many of them from a young age, about God and His goodness and His grace and His sovereignty and His salvation and all of those things. Rely on what you know to be true. Be still and know. The last words are these, be still and know that I am God. A lot of comfort in that last phrase, isn't there? The grave, not God. The material universe, not God. COVID, not God. No, the Lord of hosts is God. The God of Jacob, who made himself known to his people in the person of Jesus Christ, he is God. A lot of comfort there, isn't there? Be still and know that I am God. Of course, for believers, this is a call for us to know God specifically as He's revealed Himself here in Psalm 46. It's a call for believers to know God specifically as their refuge and as their strength and as their fortress. You know, Paul, Paul was, it's been said already, I've said it to the family, Paul was one of the kindest 
men I have ever met in my life. He was so, so kind. For years here, family knows this story, but for years here, after the morning service, he would bring me a cup of coffee and a cookie because he knew that I would never make it from that door where I shook hands over to the kitchen window in time to get those things for myself because people always want to, you know, come and talk to the pastor and tell you what they think about you and all of that stuff. And so, uh, you know, Paul knew I'd never make it over to the kitchen window. And so, and so uh, he, he, he'd bring me those things every week while I was talking in the fellowship hall. And he, and he almost tried to do it like it's impossible to hand someone a cup of coffee and a cookie without being noticed. But if anybody came close, it was Paul. Like, it was just like, we didn't want to interfere the conversation, but every week, a cup of coffee and a cookie. Paul also tried, tried, key word, to teach me how to find morel mushrooms. <laughs> he failed because I still can't find them. But, 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 but one afternoon, Paul and Dave, and I want to say Luke and Sam, and maybe even Eric, they came, they picked me up, they said, we're going to go out, and we're going to find some morels. And uh, we went for a walk in the woods, and, and I was growing quite frustrated over my inability to find these dumb little mushrooms. And eventually, Paul, he saw my frustration, he called me over to himself, PD, that was Paul, you know, PD is what they call me here, Pastor Dirk, but I don't know if Paul made that up, but he certainly took it to the next level. That's, I don't think he ever called me Dirk in my life. PD, come over here. And he said, there's three morel mushrooms right in those trees. And like, I still needed his help to find them. I, I couldn't find them, but he was so, he was so patient with me. He wanted me so desperately to be able to find these mushrooms for myself. And then we get back home, and we had like 25, 30 mushrooms, and Paul wanted to make sure, right, that I was able to take those home for a meal. There was a meal for one person, right? And, and Paul wanted to make sure that I, I was able to take those home uh, to my wife and to my family, right? That's Paul. He's so incredibly kind, and yet there's one facet of his kindness that really uh, stuck out to me this past week as I listened to the family tell stories about him. And what that facet was, was that Paul was truly sort of a, a, a refuge for people that came out already when people were sharing about him. But he, he, was, he was a refuge. I heard about Anise. We all just heard about Anise, who found refuge in his hugs. Heard about a nephew, as well as a foreign exchange student who found refuge in his home and at his table. I even heard about a hitchhiker who found refuge in his car, much to Gail's chagrin, right? <laughs> I'm sure there were other stories as well, but, 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 but that, 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 that was Paul. Paul was a refuge for people. Paul was someone people went to in order to find some measure of relief and safety, from the difficulties of this world. It's remarkable. That theme just kept coming. You know, one time's, like we all have one time, but that theme just kept coming back and back and back. You couldn't ignore it. You couldn't miss it. And we must understand this morning that in this way, Paul resembled his God and our God. Because Psalm 46 says, our God is a refuge and a fortress for his people. It says that over and over again. Verse 1, verse 7, verse 11, he's a refuge, he's a fortress. God is one in whom we can find relief and safety from the difficulties and hardships of this world. And so Gail, Abby, Luke, Sam, in the days and weeks and months ahead, 
you're going to need a refuge. You've always needed a refuge, but you're really going to know you need a refuge. Your dad was a refuge for you. But he knew as well as anybody that even he wasn't your ultimate refuge. No, he simply pointed and imitated the one who was your ultimate refuge. God is your refuge. God is your strength. God is your help in trouble. God is your fortress. God is the one in whom you will find relief and shelter and peace and safety from the difficulties of this world. The God who's made provision for your sins. The God who's reconciled you to himself through the blood of his son Jesus Christ. The God who is even now watching over your lives in such a way that not a hair can fall from your head apart from his will. God, that God, is your refuge. It's said about Martin Luther that whenever he heard any discouraging news, he would come and he would say, Come, let us sing the 46th Psalm. Well, maybe we could take a page out of Luther's playbook. Whenever you or any of us feel any of those discouraging feelings creeping in, you could say to yourself or you could say to one another or you could say to whomever you are with, come, let us read the 46th Psalm. Come, let us remember that God is our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help in trouble. Come, let us hear the voice of the one who says, be still and know that I am God. Of course, we understand that these, these words spoken here in Psalm 4610, they aren't just for believers. Now, these words, they go out to the entire world. These words are meant to stop unbelievers in their tracks as well. In fact, some argue that the primary purpose of these words is to stop unbelievers in their tracks. That could be. Of course, we know for for unbelievers, these words, they aren't a source of comfort and hope as they are to believers. No, for unbelievers, these words, they're a source of terror and dread. For as it stands, the, the unbeliever remains an enemy of the one who is God and who will be exalted in all the earth. That's very bad news. All of us by nature. Our, our, our enemies of God were objects of His wrath. All of us by nature have purchased a one-way ticket to hell through our disobedience and rebellion and sin. And yet, the good news of the gospel is that God, God is offering mercy and forgiveness and pardon to His enemies through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that God is reconciling His enemies to Himself at the cross. We firmly believe Firmly believe that Paul's soul was taken into glory last Tuesday when he passed away. We firmly believe that even now Paul is with Jesus in paradise. And when Christ returns, his body will be raised imperishable and that soul will come back with the Lord and they'll be reunited together. And he will live forever with God and God's people in the new heavens and the new earth. We firmly believe that. But hear me clearly, hear me clearly, we don't believe that Paul enjoys God's salvation because of who he was. We don't believe that Paul was in glory because he was a really nice guy who brought his pastor coffee and cookies every Sunday after church. 
We don't believe he's in glory because he provided refuge and shelter to people in need of it. No, we believe Paul's in glory because he trusted in Christ for salvation. Now, was his kindness a product of his faith? Yes, I would say absolutely it was. But don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake of thinking that Paul's in glory because of who he was, because that's not right. Paul's in glory because of who his Savior was. He was a sinner saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He was an enemy of God who was reconciled to God by the blood of the cross. My friend, I don't know your story. I don't know your past. But this much I do know and this much I can assure you Paul would want you to know as well. Apart from Christ, you will perish everlastingly because of your sins. But in Christ, in Christ, you will find forgiveness and salvation. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. You say, I don't deserve that. No, you don't deserve that. It's the free gift of God, a gift you can and should receive today through the empty hand of faith in Jesus Christ. Don't put it off. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. For all you know, we'll be planning your funeral tomorrow. Receive that gift today. Everyone, everyone will be still and know that the Lord is God. The only question is, Will it be now while salvation is being offered? Or will it be later when Christ returns and it's too late? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Lord of hosts and God of Jacob, How we pray that you give each and every one of us grace this day to be still and to know that you are God. Help us to trust you. Help us to rest in you. Help us to rely not necessarily on what we feel but on what we know because you've told us in your word. And for any and all who remain apart from you this day, help them to believe in you. We thank you again for Paul. We thank you for his kindness, his faith. We thank you for the hope we have that he's with you. Comfort those who mourn, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to read the words of Psalm 23 together. If you have uh, one of these brochures here, pamphlets, bulletins, We'll use this version. This looks like it's the NIV. Please join with me in reading these familiar words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod
Why don't we stand for the parting blessing and then we'll sing our closing hymn. <sighs> Family and friends, receive this blessing from number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen.